Amen. Yeah, it's good. Worship. And it's good to be able to uh, just go to God's Word together. So I invite you to open with the, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going through this series life together and looking at Paul's first pastoral letter to Timothy and want to speak on an unpopular subject this morning. One that I think that you are gonna, going to find unpopular. A subject that I perceive most people view as negative, uh, only to be kind of, maybe to put it in the same category or classified, maybe the same way you would a root canal or a colonoscopy, something like that. <laughs> Largely considered a taboo. Uh, it's In practice, it's, it's something that we don't do very often as a church, family, what we should. And... Uh, and it's the practice of confronting sin in the life of another person. Confronting sin in the life of another person. I know you're real excited about looking at, see what scripture says about this, but specifically in the life of someone that you know and love and care deeply about, possibly in your own family or in the life of of someone else in your church family. Let me ask you, how long has it been since you sat face-to-face with someone and had an open conversation out of love, out of concern, maybe because you felt a burden for that person, because you cared deeply for them, and so you sat face-to-face with them to address something that was in the person's life that was contrary to God's word, perhaps was having a harmful effect on their witness, something that was causing them to live counter to honoring Christ, failing to bring glory to God. Paul is telling Timothy in this text as a pastor of this church with the members of that church family facing all kinds of unhealthy, sinful issues and practices. Do you remember what some of them were? He had teachers that were not teaching scripture that needed to be confronted. There were men in the church that were causing division, failing to pray. They needed to be confronted. There were women in the church that were speaking improperly, dressing improperly, and needed to be confronted. Leaders who were aspiring to positions that they weren't qualified for and They needed to be told no. And so here, Timothy is a brand new pastor, his first pastor, and he's young. And he's not only responsible for preaching and teaching the word, he's also responsible to shepherd the church, to lead it and to care for it, which means he needed to address these situations involving the membership, issues that required meeting with individuals, having open, honest conversations certainly requiring courage, wisdom, and a spirit of prayer. If Timothy were just a hireling, he could avoid all this tough stuff, never address the issues. In fact, he could just leave it all as it was or ignore it, sweep it all under the rug. Do you know the definition of a hireling? The Gospels talk about hirelings. Hireling is one who is hired to take care of another person's flock 
one who is financially compensated to serve the other person, taking care of their flock, which I guess is okay. However, when a lion or a bear threaten that flock's safety or health, requiring some courage and involving some personal risk, the hireling reasons to himself or herself, huh, these aren't my sheep, and I'm not going, and I'm not being paid enough money to do this, and so the hireling flees. Timothy is not a hireling. And we'll see that he places self-interest above, or the interest of the flock above his own self-interest, and does those things that need to be done. Notice in chapter 4, verse 6, Paul encourages Timothy, if you want to be a good minister, an effective servant, and the word minister of their servant is diaconus, it's where we get the word deacon. If you want to be an effective servant, then these are the things that you need to focus on. First, you remember we went through these. First Timothy, feed yourself. Verse six, stay nourished on the words of faith and doctrine. And then second, pass along. You see that also in verse six. Teach these things. You see it also in verse 11. Teach these things, command these things. So stay nourished in the word, feed others, pass it along. Reject profane and wives, old wives' fables. You see that in verse seven. And it's just to stay faithful, to stay focused on scripture. And then he says, exercise yourself unto godliness. We looked at that. That's in verse eight. Basically, live a godly life. Um, so and all the things that come with that. But, you know, a godly life, I, I guess, could be summarized by an individual whose mind stays on God. They think about God. They're, they're in the morning, throughout the day, they're in communion with God to live a godly life. And here he is as a young guy, young pastor, having to confront all of these issues, issues involving all of these people. Paul is counseling him. Now, if you, accept, if you expect to be accepted and you don't want the church to reject you as you start having these meetings and these conversations, which is always the fear. It's probably a fear that all of us have. Well, if I have this conversation, this confrontation with this other person, then I fear what might happen, right? The fear. So Timothy's fear is what if I begin to meet with all of these people doing all of this that needs to be done and I have these honest conversations bringing up these issues and these sins and then what happens if they get mad, angry and they turn on me and reject me? See, the reality of being an effective servant of the Lord Jesus Christ requires some amount of courage and conviction with a clear understanding of our goal as followers of Christ, which is not to win a popularity contest, nor is it for everyone to like us. Man, I don't know who among us would just revel in the idea that people just reject us and don't like us. But that's not our goal. That's not our calling as Christian people. Instead, it's to be faithful to God and to please him and to trust him and to be led by the Spirit and do those things that God calls us to do, requires of us, even if they're difficult. So, Timothy, take care of yourself spiritually. Then to find acceptance among those you're serving, we went through and saw five things. Read with me in 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 6. Some of you might remember these five things, and I want to add a sixth thing here this morning. First Timothy 4, starting 
at, I'm sorry, verse 12. Let's start at verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an, an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So be an example in all of those areas. Verse 13, until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And then let's look at the next two verses. Do not rebuke an older man. Some of your Bibles say may add the word harshly. Do not rebuke an older man harshly. It's carried in the verb of that text, but... Instead, exhort him as a father, the younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Let's pray. Father, we commit these next few moments and commit ourselves to you and pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and minister to us through your word for your glory and your glory alone. Bless your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So to be an effective servant, an effective minister, two categories of counsel. As we've already seen first, take care of yourself. And that's not just a word, an idea that we should just pass off because it's possible that you and I can be very busy, very effective, serving others, doing the Lord's work, and what happens? We neglect ourselves. And so take care of yourself first. Stay nourished in the words of faith. Pass along, share with others those things that God is revealing to you, uh, which means we can, there's all kinds of ways to do that. Talking openly about God and the things of God and things that we're learning, we can do that in relationships, and then just exercise yourself unto godliness. Body exercise is good. It's profitable for some, but he says godliness, exercise unto godliness is profitable for both the life that we now live and for eternal life, which is to come. So that's one category. And then, then to establish yourself as a leader, as a servant, you remember the five things we looked at? Let me fly through those very quickly. To find acceptance, to establish trust and respect as a leader, he says five things. Verse 12, I'm just going to rattle them off very quickly. First, be an example. Be, an, be a role model. And he lists all of those areas in your words, things you say, the way you act, the way you behave, your love, your way you treat others, your spirit, your attitude, your trust, your confidence in God, your moral purity. Just be an example. Be different from the world and most people around you. Um, trying to be like Christ. Be an example. Second, build everything in your life on Scripture. Timothy, don't fear rejection. Instead, let your soul source of authority in your life be the Word of God. 
whatever God says from Scripture, however the Holy Spirit speaks to you and leads you, then establish that as the foundation of your life. You remember Jesus told a story about two builders? A wise builder and a foolish builder. Do you remember the difference between the two builders? Our little kids grew up singing about, right? The wise man built his and the foolish man built it. You know, they sing the song. The foolish builder was short-sighted and took the easy, cheap route and built on the sand. The wise builder saw the bigger picture, fought ahead, looked ahead down the road, invested the extra time and expense and dug deep and built upon the rock. And what were the, you remember the outcome? What happened? When the storms of life threatened, the wise builder's efforts and accomplishments remained intact, which means if we're going to build on God's word, it requires that we learn what the word says. We study to learn it, and so we do all the things the Bible tells us to do, to memorize, meditate. We just immerse our minds with scripture. Second Peter 3, or Second Timothy 3, you know the verse, all scripture I know those of you who have gone through Bible drill know this verse. All scripture is inspired, it's God-breathed, and is profitable, beneficial for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The follow-up, 2 Timothy 2, 15, therefore, study. Study, that sounds like work, doesn't it? Study to show yourself accepted, approved by God, a, a workman who rightly divides the word of truth and needs not to be ashamed. So, Build your life upon Scripture, always learning, studying, devoting ourselves to God's Word. I was speaking to a sister in Christ this week in the office, and she was sharing with me a story about a friend that she had, and her friend was faced with a decision. And her friend had two groups of friends, and her two groups of friends were very divided, very different on an issue, and so she didn't know which way to go because she had friends on both sides. And so, in my estimation, this individual was faced with a test. Will I side with my friends because they're my friends, or do I base my decision on God's Word? And I'll stand on Scripture. And whatever Scripture says, then that's, that's my side. That's my position. All of us will be tested in the same way. When we go through life, all kinds of examples. But third, he says, develop the gift that God has given you, and which means find you know the spiritual gift. So when we get saved, we the Spirit, First Corinthians 12, 13, 14 talks about spiritual gifts that God gives to every one of us. Could have one gift, multiple of gifts, but develop the gift that God has given you, which means find your niche in the body of Christ for building up other people. God has given through the Holy Spirit gifts to all of us, and I would also add to that, uh, while it's not listed in Scripture, natural talents and abilities that, that you're born with, and they might not be listed as a spiritual gift, but they're still given to you. An example might be, maybe you're born with just a great intellect, just a great mind, and God gave that to you, created that within you, and so Natural talents, abilities, spiritualness, all of that could be used for the purpose of building up and blessing other believers. 
Those gifts are never for our own amusement nor for our personal praise or attention or for us to receive accolades, but always for the edification, for the building up of other people. So all of us, young and old alike, ask ourselves, how has God gifted me, equipped me to contribute to the building up of Hillcrest Baptist Church? What are those gifts? And I would ask you to consider this. Whatever God wants you to do to build up and bless other believers, however you are to serve in that capacity, it will always be connected to where God has gifted you. Does that make sense? Look at the fourth thing. Adopt a singular life focus means establish a certain mindset and uh, to be focused on the Lord and... uh, all kinds of verses on that. You know, and our, and our focus singularly is to be like Christ. Whether I drive a truck or I'm a landscaper or a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a tra- tradesman, whatever I do, office worker, working in a, you know, a factory somewhere, whatever I do, that's not my purpose. That's not my purpose. My goal is to be like Christ. And in whatever I do, whatever vocation I'm in, to bring him glory and honor. Our purpose is to be like Christ. Romans 8, all of us to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 12, 1 and 2, transformed by the renewed of our minds. Why? That we could not be like this world, but to be like Christ. Therefore, regardless of all these things, our purpose is to honor and glorify God. So there's got to be a singular mindset there. And then fifth, Paul tells Timothy to persevere, continue, to stay with this. Uh, Earlier in that same chapter, if you go back up to chapter 4, verse 1, one of the warnings is the Spirit says, in the last days, many will apostatize, many will become weak in the faith. And so we don't want that to happen. We want to continue to persevere, to serve the Lord robustly all of our days, to maybe to hear the same thing that we can say that Paul said towards the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight, kept the faith, run the race, finished the course. Now there's set up for me a crown of a reward, righteousness to receive from the Lord. So just continue to stay at it. And then this morning is where I want to focus the remainder of our time. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul adds a sixth area for establishing ourselves as leaders, as good servants. He's describing this in these first two verses of chapter 5. Timothy, you must have a willingness, a readiness to confront sin. Read it again with me. Do not rebuke an older man. But exhort him as a father, the younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. The Bible uses different metaphors and analogies for describing the church. Peter, for example, refers to the church as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, even as a flock. Jesus refers to the church as a vine. Paul compares it to a temple or to the human body. The writer to the Hebrews references it as an assembly. Perhaps the most common metaphor for the church is that of a family, 
a family. What kind of image comes to your mind when you think about a family? Well, hopefully, the images and ideas of warmth and care and togetherness and closeness and compassion and love or maybe a bond that's indissolvable. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I have given to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another, and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. And so the greatest, I would say, quality of family life is love. So when we think about God's love and grace towards us and then our love and our care for one another, a necessary but neglected characteristic of that love is confronting sin. When our children were small, there were four of them, <laughs> Minnie and I tried our very best to teach all four of our kids to obey, to do what they were told to do. That's what good parents do. And to establish an understanding within their their mindset and understanding of, of a respect for authority, a much-needed attitude, right? For living life and for having a relationship with God, a person has to recognize and respect authority. And so a practical way of achieving such was to correct disobedience. The Bible teaches that a failure to correct and to, to correct disobedience is really a demonstration of a lack of real love. You remember Hebrews talks about that? Any parent that doesn't really discipline the child, then they're not a good parent. They don't really love the child. So if a child, for example, were to lie, not were to lie, rather when they lie, as you, a parent, as you confront that sin of lying, in so doing, hopefully, they learn from that correction to do what? Not to lie, but positively, they learn to tell the truth. They learn to be honest. And here's the bigger connection, that in learning that lying is sin and telling the truth is good, to be honest is good, the bigger picture is they make the connection that what? God never lies. God is always true to his word. And to be like God, to please God, then we need to learn to be honest. So that's the bigger picture rather than just correcting the lie. We're trying to establish within their understanding of who God is and how to have a relationship with God. Love cares enough to do that. Love cares enough to confront sin. Love cares enough to correct disobedience. Paul is telling Timothy, he's encouraging Timothy, if you want to be a good servant, an effective servant, to be trusted for people to respect you, then make sure you confront sin. And here's how to do it in God's family. And as previously mentioned, as a faithful servant, yes, study, teach the word, preach the word, devote yourself to godliness, minister, and put all of these things into practice, all of which revolve around relationships. Be a good example. Build everything on scripture. Develop your gifts. Remain single-minded. Persevere. Stay with it. 
But finally, Timothy, make sure that you confront sin. Confront all of these issues. Don't be a hireling, but instead care enough about the church, about your brothers and sisters in Christ, your church family, to address these issues. The church family at Ephesus needed some correction. There were practices and attitudes that existed among the membership that were contrary to scriptures, and it was weakening the church, and so they are to be confronted, to be confronted lest not only they remain, but sin never just remains. Sin always spreads. I was reading this last week, going through Judges, and everything's going along, God's People going and possess the land and they're pushing out the Amalekites and the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and they're just pushing all those ites out. And then when Joshua dies, they seek the Lord and God says, Judah, you're to lead. You and partner up with Simeon and you're to lead. And so they go out and they begin to stop pushing out all the inhabitants. Partial obedience. Partial obedience. And then you know what happens? If you read down in those early chapters of Judges, and then it says the tribe of Benjamin didn't push out all the inhabitants. And the tribe of Naphtali began to stop pushing out all the inhabitants. And the tribe of Ephraim stopped pushing out. You see, Judah's sin quickly began to spread to the other tribes. Sin never remains, it spreads. Jesus mentioned leaven. Do you remember like yeast? And how just the smallest amount permeates, how it spreads, how a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Consider this scenario. If you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've been publicly baptized, and you're a member of Hillcrest Baptist Church, and someone, perhaps another member of this church, who knows you very well, and you have a relationship with, and your friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, and that brother or sister in Christ came to you and sat down and talked to you and began to share a spiritual concern they had for you about your life, about your walk with Christ, about your attitude, about your language, about your church attendance, about your witness, and they approached you gently, and they approached you prayerfully, and they approached you sincerely. Would you be grateful? Would you be appreciative? Or would you be defensive? That's none of their business. Who do they think they are? And be offended and feel like when they were talking to you that you wanted to strike back or you wanted to defend yourself? Or would you feel genuinely before God, would you feel thankful and feel loved and feel cared for? Only you can answer that. I, I will tell you this. Uh, I've had that happen to me a couple of times since I've been here with a couple different people and was careful to listen to what they said and appreciated 
them coming and talking to me and praying together with them. And I can tell you, in both instances, I feel a stronger relationship with those people from that experience. God said of David's son, Solomon, God said, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me and when he commits iniquity, I will correct him. That sounds very loving. Job 5.17, God speaks and says, happy is the man whom I reprove, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Proverbs teaches that correction leads to understanding and knowledge and wisdom, and it leads to honor, and it leads to a happy life. Correction. Some of you are familiar with the words of Jesus. Matthew 18, let me read just a verse. If your brother sins against you, go, tell him his fault between you and him alone, and if he hears you, you've gained your brother. There's another passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift, your worship to the Lord, and you remember something, you get up, stop worshiping, go to your brother. Paul is telling Timothy the same thing. To the contrary, Timothy, if you want to be a good, effective servant, don't avoid the hard stuff. Don't push away dealing with these personal things that you need to deal with. In fact, Timothy, do not neglect being a spiritual father, a spiritual parent. Rather, confront sin. Confront it, but do it this way. Listen, this is good counsel not only for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, this is good counsel for us as parents. You know, you've raised four and they start to get a little bit older, especially in their teenage years, and you know that when you have this conversation, it's probably not going to be well received. And even when they get to be grown young adults, and they're not living for Christ, they're not serving the Lord, and they're doing things contrary to Scripture, and it requires us as a mom or a dad to pray and wait for the right time under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and to sit down with them in tears with a burden and say, I need to talk to you a few minutes about this area of your life. And instead we cower. Well, they might get mad. They might get upset. They're, listen, they know you love them. And they might get upset and they might get mad and they may not like hearing what you say. That's the way God works. It's one of the ways God speaks. He speaks through us. He speaks through us. And he needs to, and God works the same way through the church. I'm off my notes, but I will guarantee you this. There are people in this congregation who are not living for Christ, who are once fervent and passionate about the Lord, and they were involved in ministry and service today, and they're still members of this church, and today you can't even find them. So my question is, who's going to go talk to them? Not to confront, to beat them up, not to beat them over the head, or hurt them, but to go and say, brother, I want to talk to you. I need to, I'm concerned about you, and so I want to 
and just, and just talk to them and pray with them and allow God to work through you to, to be his spokesman, his spokesperson. I was in Bible study this Thursday morning, men's Bible study here. There was a passage of scripture that someone mentioned and it was from Titus chapter 2 and, and I read it. This is what it says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to us all, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly lives in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And I read that, and then it says, Paul is writing to another young pastor, Titus, and he says, Titus, speak these things. Exhort and rebuke. Exhort and rebuke with all authority let no one despise you. And so look with me in the text. Now finish up here. Look what, look what Paul says to Timothy practically. This is how to do it. He says, Timothy, in your congregation where you're to confront sin, you're going to have old members and you're going to have younger members and you're going to have male members and female members. So verse 1, as you do this, he says, do not rebuke an older man. The English ESV translates it, do not rebuke an older man harshly. The New American Standard translates it, do not sharply rebuke an older man. The New Living Translation says, never speak harshly, but rather exhort, appeal, or encourage New Living Translation says but, says, but rather make a respectful appeal to them. Two verbs are used in that text. First verb is epileso, which refers to a strong, harsh, violent rebuke. Over earlier in 1 Timothy 3.3, when it was talking about elders, it says not to be a striker, not to be violent. It's the same word. Paul is telling Timothy, as you confront, you never you never do so with any form of verbal violence, never speaking harshly, never impulsively in an angry fashion. That's not demonstrating love and care. The point is, if a brother or sister has drifted into some kind of sin, never are they to be hammered with harsh words. The second verb is parakaleo, which is translated to appeal or to encourage, a best synonym would be to strengthen. And so it carries the idea of coming alongside someone who is weak to hold them up, to appeal to them, to encourage or to strengthen them. A related word is a word that Jesus uses referring to the Holy Spirit, parakletos. The Holy Spirit is one who what? Comes alongside to comfort us and to strengthen us and to teach us and to build us up and to guide us. And 
Jesus was conveying that God the Father through his word and the Holy Spirit works to help us. And likewise, this is Paul's counsel to Timothy. As brothers and sisters in the Christ, in the community, connected as members, were to demonstrate real love and care for them, coming alongside to their aid, providing care. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, talking to the church. Brethren, if a, if a brother or sister is overtaken in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, what? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. And he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The idea of a brother or sister in the body of Christ is overtaken in sin. Those of you who are spiritual, who are mature, restore them. How? He says, in a spirit of gentleness. Being careful lest you also fall into temptation, thus bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. So let me close. Practically, if I really love you, and care about you and want the very best for you, and I see and recognize an area of your life and it burdens me, then I am to lovingly, prayerfully, and gently in order to desire, to help, and strengthen, and to encourage you to confront you. Therefore, the confronting of sin is to be gospel-based, always to restore, always to redeem, always to bless, to build up, and always done in an attitude of gentleness. It is a principle of loving correction. And for whatever reason, there's probably many, we just ignore it. We just ignore it. In the church, Timothy, as a young guy, when you talk to that older man or that older woman in the church that you're gonna have to confront he says, do it with honor and do it respectfully, just like you would talk to your own dad or your own mother. When you as a young guy need to talk to that other young guy in the body of Christ, talk to him the way you would talk to your own brother. When you have to talk to that young sister in Christ in the church, talk to her, relate to her like you would your own sister. And he adds, with all purity, thinking only of her as my sister in Christ, keeping my thoughts in check. You and I this morning can make a list of all these ideas, this first two or three areas, and these last five things, and we could add this sixth thing, and we could write all that down and make a list and try and memorize it, which I think would be good. But here's the reality. Uh, if you ask me next week what I preached about today, I might could remember most of it. If you ask me a month ago what I preached on today, I probably wouldn't remember any of it. If you went and took me back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I, then I would remember, I said, oh yeah, if I started reading it, I'd probably read about these same things, nourish, passing along, training godliness, being example. I probably could just go down and it all come back to mind. So here's my point. I'm not, I don't think it's just absolutely essential that you and I memorize every point that we've seen here from the text today. It wouldn't be bad. But here's what's important for us. Here's the takeaway. 
First of all, you and I are going to be more familiar with this text. That's, that's important, that we're more, more and more familiar with God's word, understanding more, which is good. Second, I hope what we'll remember from this point forward, and this is a big takeaway today, what you'll remember, we'll leave here with, is if I really love someone, I'll confront them. That's the takeaway. And here's what will happen. I promise you this is what will happen. As a Christian, there's going to be a situation this week, next week, next month that comes along where a brother or sister in Christ is going to come to your mind and you're concerned about them. You're concerned about them spiritually. And here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to bring back 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, and the Holy Spirit's going to impress upon you that I need to call that person up and go get a cup of coffee or visit in their home or go to lunch, and I need to talk to them. That's what's going to happen. See, how do you know it's going to happen? Because it happens all the time. <laughs> and then you're going to be faced with a decision. God, am I going to do what your word tells me to do because I genuinely love and care about this person and even more than that because I want to be pleasing to you and faithful to you or am I going to sweep it under the rug and let it go and let that person go and just go on with my life and they go on with their life they stay out of my business, and I stay out of their business, and I just leave it alone. That's the takeaway. Let me pray with you.